Sup Freaks, it's your boy Marty, here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. The immense pleasure of sitting back down with our good friend Whitney Webb. A lot has happened since the last time we spoke uh, before the election. We go over everything. We talk about Bitcoin. We talk about opting out of this crazy system that we're being forced into. Opt out, freaks. Run your Bitcoin full nodes. Accept Bitcoin as payment. Host your own data when you can, where you can. Host your own content where you can, when you can. Highly recommend Ghost. Stop being complacent. You got to get off your asses. You got to do something. I guess that's the message we sent today. This episode is brought to you by our good friends at the motherfucking Cash App. Cash App is about you stack sets, send sets, receive sets, sell sets if you so please. We're saying sets, 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 sets. Because sats are the center on the app. What is a sat, you're asking there? Sat is short for Satoshi. And Satoshi is the smallest unit of Bitcoin. There's 100 million sats, or Satoshis, in one whole Bitcoin. So instead of, most people don't know, or a lot of people don't know, that you don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. You don't have to buy a fraction of a Bitcoin either. You can buy whole sats. That's what we're doing here. Instead of buying a fraction of a Bitcoin, we're buying whole sats. On top of that, you can get sats back with the sats back boost if you have the Cash App boost card. You go anywhere, Visa's accepted, you spend, you have your Bitcoin boost initiated, you're going to get sats back on that purchase. Uh, you can DCA in the sats, set it and forget it daily, weekly, bi-weekly. DCA, dollar cost average, you just buy a certain amount on a consistent basis. Again, you can do that daily, weekly, bi-weekly on the app. Cash app can be your bank account. Uh, they're offering account numbers and routing numbers to individuals so you can get your paychecks direct deposited into the app. Go. Download the app if you haven't already. Use the code StackingSats, S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. Owls Lacrosse. Use the code StackingSats. Download the Cash app, and then when you do that, maybe take your cash card and go shop at Adams, get some sets back. Adams is our shoe sponsor. We have a shoe sponsor. We're pretty big. We're, we're big athletes here at TFTC. We were waiting on our shoe sponsor, and it finally came. Adams is the most comfy shoe, and they are the shoe for the individual with a low time preference mindset. They're making these shoes to form fit to your foot. There's no half size. You can get a half size if you want, but you're not uh, pigeonholed to only getting a half size. They have quarter sizes so the shoe could fit more perfectly to your foot. You can get a 10, a 10 and a quarter, 10 and a half, 10 and three quarters, 11, Go up and down from there. Same exact thing. Break it into quarters, making sure it fits to your foot. The 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 sole of the shoe uh, has a, a foam-fitting cushion that, that forms to your foot after a couple weeks of wearing them consistently. It is the most comfy shoe I've ever worn. On top of that, a microbial copper going through the shoe so that they don't get smelly over time, if that's a problem that any of you freaks have out there with your shoes and it's forcing you to buy more pairs of shoes than you otherwise would, this is the shoe for you. Again, low time preference in mind, making sure you get the most bang for your sat. Okay? Uh, on top of that, you're accepting Bitcoin. I hooked them up with OpenNode. You can pay, if you want to contribute to the Bitcoin circular economy, you can pay on-chain Bitcoin, Lightning, their, their, their corners at heart, their stack and sats as well. Uh, they have these shoelaces, they're elastic. You tie them once, you never have to tie them again, saving you time. For the low time preference, you can spend that time more wisely. You can wash the shoes. You wash them in the washer, air dry them, brand new, look good. I've done it with my whites. They look spazzy. 
snazzy, not spazzy. They're, they're not like moving when they get out. They look snazzy. All right. Go check out Adams, okay? Again, if you have a low time preference, you're looking for good shoes, and most importantly, I should they look good. Uh, again, I, I look, I think I look hot in them, if, I, if, if you can allow me to be a little vain for a moment here. So go to adams.com, A-T-O-M-S.com slash T-F-T-C. If you wind up purchasing a pair of these incredible low tie preference shoes, you're going to get a free pair of their incredible, dope, comfortable, low time preference socks as well. So adams.com slash T-F-T-C. Go check it out. Enjoy this episode. Uh, if you do enjoy this episode or you enjoy other episodes, please subscribe, like, rate, review, share. Uh, we're trying to blow this up in 2021 as Bitcoin blows up. Uh, we want to get quality information to people. Here's my latest conversation with Whitney Webb, a true pioneer in the independent journalism space. Okay. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. We have an hour and 20 minutes and a lot to talk about, so we're going to jump right into it. Sitting down with Whitney Webb. Whitney, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, it's great to be back. It's great to have you back. Uh, the last Thanks. time we spoke, a lot has happened between now and the last time we spoke. The last time we spoke, we talked about Operation Warp Speed, uh, fuckery around Election Day. Uh, what else do we talk about? Um, a bunch of stuff, intel agencies. If so much has happened, it's hard to remember. It's yeah, like, so I was just trying to think in my mind. A couple months ago feels like a year ago, almost. Right, um, so since the last time we spoke, we've had the solar winds attack. We've had the presidential yeah. election, obviously, which uh, which dragged on and and had a lot of, there was a lot of uncertainty in the air around that for, for quite some time. We've had the transition uh, to the Biden administration and it seems like the world's continuing to get crazier. The, the vaccines yeah. are rolling out now. How how have you been and how have you been looking at all this? Uh, well, you know, things are all right. Um, but I think everywhere, not just the U.S., things are getting crazier in a lot of countries. And that includes Chile, which is like just super. Uh, the lockdowns are really insane here. Like if they put you in this five-tier system, which they're now doing in the U.K., but all that stuff they beta tested in Chile, basically. But in, when you're in phase one of the Chile stuff, you're only allowed out of, out of your house twice a week to get groceries. And that's it. That's Which is like insane. not a lot. Um, so it's pretty, uh, it's pretty intense. And, uh, uh, you know, half the time the checkpoints are cops and the other half of the time it's soldiers. So here it's getting, uh, you know, uh, Chile, I think I've said this before, is usually used as like a laboratory by the US, the UK, and some other places to test out like, well, originally it was like neoliberalism, right? Um, but it's a lot of other things too, um, and PSYOP stuff and, you know, a bunch of different things like that uh, often get tested here before they get rolled out um, or, you know, attempted rollouts in the US and the UK and some other, you know, Western countries. So um, it's definitely crazy here. And, you know, if they can do it here, they can try and do it anywhere, right? 
So um, definitely worth keeping in mind that a lot of this isn't just isolated to nation states anymore because we have, you know, an open, openly transnational uh, agenda to basically do a controlled demolition of society and rebuild it from the ground up and the people rebuilding it, um, you know, want to make a technocracy and, um, you know, they tell, they, they say it'll be inclusive and more sustainable and equal, right? But that just means uh, inclusive in the sense that we're all equally slaves uh, to <laughs> uh, the billionaire class, right? And these guys are playing for keeps, right? So, you know, all the technology stuff and in, in, in the transhumanist angle uh, is to get their control systems, not just surrounding you and in the physical environment or in your house or whatever, but in your body, um, so that there's no chance of rebellion in the future, at least from the way uh, they're looking at it. And wow, dude, uh, nothing says critical juncture for the freaking species than that kind of stuff. Right. And you have people talking at the World Economic Forum, um, you know, which is, I guess you could say, one of the main transnational groups behind this, that in a hundred years, uh, there won't be humans as we know them today. The fact so that, you know, these guys are basically like, yeah, we're going to basically force transhumanism on people. You either get with, you know, the system or, uh, you know, we cut you out, we starve you out, whatever. Yeah. So some wild shit. You're going to own nothing and be happy by 2030. By, yeah, uh, but they will own it all. Right. We no. will own nothing and they will own everything and we'll be like least everything, uh, you know, we'll be feudal serfs, but like uh, in a way that makes the Middle Ages look way more fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it's uh, I mean, yikes. We're surveillance serfs, we're death serfs. And yeah, as, this, as these lockdowns drag on, especially as more data comes out in regards to the fatality uh, level of the of the virus it's like uh, why are we why are we doing this it's uh well, yeah dude because now that 2020 is over you can get like the full death count for the year and i i haven't looked at the numbers in the u.s but in the in the uk the official numbers the total deaths in 2020 was less than total deaths for 2018 so like catastrophic pandemic where you even destroy society and uh, close everything down and everyone has to stay in their house and accept all these laws and accept all these new, you know, surveillance systems and whatever. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Um, doesn't really look uh, like a convincing cell to me. But what's interesting is that the, uh, the Davos, the World Economic Forum Agenda Week, uh, not that long ago at a press conference, Klaus Schwab, our new, uh, I guess, galactic overlord. Unelected. Says, rando yeah. who's now yeah. telling us how to live right so he basically said that this is the year where we need to move on from coronavirus right <clears throat> and then a couple of days after he says that right biden's inaugurated the world health organization uh, organization lowers the cycle threshold for pcr tests people like fauci and whatever start saying pcr tests that have been used to diagnose cases this whole time are now unreliable. So they're gonna lower the cycle threshold, which means less false positives. And they're gonna spin it as, look, Biden's mask mandate lowered all the cases as did the vaccine, uh, you know, and they're gonna spin it that way and not, you know, on this number statistics and, and data manipulation game that they've been playing the whole time. I mean, it's it's a, 
really out of control, but they're going to try and uh, what they want to do. And they, they say this in this Davos Agendas Week is that they want to focus on focus on building trust. So if they paint themselves as the saviors that took us out of COVID or whatever, you know, that's a way they can, you know, say, you know, trust us because look at the thing we did. The problem we created, we have now solved and we are your saviors. Um, bow down to us and let us put chip in your brains. I mean... <laughs> I believe to people like you and me, this seems extremely egregious and uh, overt and out in the open, but most people uh, have succumbed to the, the, the repetition of the media. Cases increase, oh. cases increase. Uh, like another one, like the last couple of weeks, it's becoming more apparent that the, this narrative is going to start getting stronger. It's domestic terrorist, domestic terrorist. It's Insane. There's a reason they're pivoting because uh, they gotta up the keep the fear up, but they're not. You know, the COVID fear is wearing off. Um, you yeah. know, I mean, they can only drag that on. They could only. They, I think they knew from the beginning they could only make that go so long. So at some point they were gonna have to pivot. And what's interesting too is that the World Economic Forum basically says, you know, um, by the end of the year, climate change is gonna be the new big issue, implying that there's gonna be some sort of ecological event. Uh, later on. And also, uh, we've sort of been told by them also that there's going to be a big cyber event this year. And I think solar winds last December, like uh, COVID was in December 2019, the first blip on the radar of the setup for that. Um, and then in a few months, it plays out. And so like, you know, in 2019, you had event 201, which is the World Economic Forum and the Gates Foundation. And you also had the US government. Uh, is it 210? Print- event or, 210, or, right? Uh, I, is it, I thought it was, well, I was don't know, I'm mildly dyslexic, so I, but I think it's, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's event 201. Yeah. So that was a simulation of basically a coronavirus pandemic spreading everywhere. The U S government, um, and this guy led by this guy named Robert Cadlick, who was involved with all the dark winter stuff uh, back in the early 2000s did crimson contagion, which was about a pandemic influenza coming from China and going everywhere. Right. And that was in 2019. And then we have bam, you know, all of this stuff uh, go live in March 2020. Dark winter is another one of those phrases that's being parroted a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, in 2020, the World Economic Forum had a simulation for this huge cyber attack on banks specifically called Cyber Polygon that had people like Tony Blair, the prime minister of Russia, um, and like a bunch of big, big name politicians and big name people in the cybersecurity world, major companies and tons of banks participating in this huge cyber attack simulation. And that's when Klaus Schwab, you know, said this in, in this clip that got, got that got shown, uh, you know, got around social media, I think a few months later, where he's, he's basically saying, uh, you know, the thing that's going to come after COVID is going to be this big cyber attack, and it's going to have much graver economic and social implications than COVID did. And then you also have DHS, the U.S. government, simulating for something just like this in a simulation a month later uh, in August of, of last year called Cyberstorm 2020. And they, it was this multi-sector critical infrastructure cyber attack scenario, but they refused to release Uh, the details of what was discussed, what the scenario was, like who was attacking, was it a nation state? We don't know anything about what they did. Totally secret and involved a lot of, uh, you know, private sector NGOs. We don't know all the participants either that we're working together with with DHS on this. And so, you know, it it looks like it's starting to sort of parallel, you know, how, how COVID 
was preceded by these simulations by a matter of months. The same people are now simulating this again and saying this is going to follow COVID. And then you have the solar wind setup, which is a really interesting uh, <clears throat> narrative, the way that's played out. And basically all the people that are the sources for information on that attack are shady as hell. So, so let's dive into solar winds for those who may be listening and unaware of this particular attack and uh, who the powers that be are, are blaming. Um, let's, let's try to, because this is a story that's going very under the radar, in my opinion. Yeah, well, now it is. Uh, but I, I think, it, like I said, I think it's sort of like January 6th was like a setup for a bigger war on terror. Solar winds is like a setup setting the, the foundational narrative for what's going to play out this year um, and basically trying to build trust in, in, in groups like Microsoft um, and, and FireEye, which is basically a CIA set up uh, cybersecurity company um, as sort of the, you know, trustworthy voices. They say this happened and we're just going to believe them and not ask them for evidence type of type of uh, response to hacks. Right. Um, and also the U.S. intelligence, uh, you know, it sort of re, 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 like big parallels to, to Russiagate in the sense that you have the intelligence community coming out with no technical evidence, no evidence being made public at all, saying that the hackers were likely Russian in origin, which, of course, the mainstream media takes and runs with it and just refers to the attackers nonstop as Russian hackers. Uh, you have CrowdStrike which was instrumental in blaming uh, Russian hackers for WikiLeaks publications in 2016, uh, being brought on immediately by SolarWinds to investigate the hack, along with uh, the new consultancy firm of the former head of uh, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, or, or CISA, um, Chris Krebs, who's a former Microsoft executive, along mm -hmm. with the, the former chief information security officer of Facebook and Yahoo, were brought on to advise solar winds about the hack and help them investigate it. And Chris Krebs is the guy, I don't know, I think when I was on the show before, we, we talked about CTI League, which is mm -hmm. basically this really shady group of anonymous volunteers working for free, but no one knows who they who they are. And Chris Krebs at, at, at this in this top position at DHS gave them access in, into the networks of healthcare, uh, major healthcare systems, hospitals, critical infrastructure, even nuclear power plants, uh, apparently, according to these guys' um, site of, of, of the uh, type of places they protect, but no one knows who, no one knows who they are, uh, but they're there to protect it, supposedly, and they're working for free, and it's basically run by these two Microsoft guys, I think both of them, that one of them is definitely ex-military, and the other one is a Unit 8200 uh, former commander that still treats in his work in cybersecurity, he says on his website, Iran is a strategic intelligence threat. He works for the cybersecurity firm that's in this part direct partnership with Israel's government. And he blames Iran for every hack that like goes on with no evidence saying the same stuff. Like we have a medium probability that it was Iran, you know, and they don't release any evidence. And then the headline is like Iran, Iran targets this and this and that, you know, um, and it's yeah, like, uh, really like, suspect to have them on there. So Chris Krabs being involved in investigating solar winds is is pretty wild. And he was publicly uh, fired by Trump because of this pushback on the the whole election narrative, and definitely got you know cozy with the Biden camp and whatnot. Um, because the guy he founded this consultancy firm with, that former Facebook executive, is like you know w was going to be offered a position in the Biden administration and stuff. So yeah, interesting. If you're 
If you're thinking of a perfect setup too, like this hack is a perfect like, well, excuse for something in the future. Like every totally. major corporation and government agency <laughs> hacked for yes. months, data leaked, yeah. all that. And they have totally set up the narrative for this. FireEye first comes out and identifies this. Uh, FireEye was set up in part by the CIA. They got InQtel funding and they're still, uh, the CIA is still one of their clients. They're the ones that essentially break the story about the hack, discover the hack. And they say they discovered the hack because the, the hackers came and took their red team a suite of hacking tools. So now they have all these elite cybersecurity hacking tools that they can now use, right? And then it turns out they you know, used a backdoor and some other tactics um, you know, to get into uh, SolarWinds Orion software, which was, uh, is really commonly used in a lot of major uh, parts of the US government, including the Pentagon, uh, the State Department, uh, the Department of uh, Commerce, Energy, the Treasury uh, claimed that they were uh, hacked. Uh, in the Justice Department's entire email system, apparently. Uh, they announced that, the Justice Department, by the way, the exact day on January 6th of the, uh, you know, the Capitol quote-unquote siege, uh, which we can, <laughs> yeah, we we can need talk to about later. We'll get into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a, and then after the Solar Winds hack comes out, right, you have Microsoft saying, oh, these hackers also access our source code. And now you have FireEye saying, well, actually, the hackers still have access to the government networks because even though they got in through SolarWinds, they're now uh, in basically sitting in Microsoft 365 uh, applications, gathering data, uh, preparing for the next attack. And the first mention of, of this being a setup for the next attack was found in a Reuters article. The only cybersecurity expert they cite is a former Unit 8200 guy who's like, this looks like preparation to the for the next attack to me. Um, and uh, I just put out an article about a lot of shady stuff going on uh, with SolarWinds at the time this backdoor was supposedly inserted because it was supposedly there from October, November, 2019 until its discovery. So what it looks like to me is like, you know, the CIA connected firm fire. I was like, we're going to out our, you know, uh, our own back door or the CIA or some other intelligence agency's own back door because it's not needed anymore. And we're going to make this big, you know, thing about it. Um, and set up this narrative so you know because if microsoft would just come out and be like oh look we were hacked and it collapsed the economy and our founder bill gates wants this to happen and we have all these plans uh for what to set up next and these crazy patents about like mining crypto with your body and stuff and like <laughs> you know uh all this stuff i mean people would probably be like hmm, bill gates first it was bill gates with covid and now it's microsoft with this you know people might be more suspicious but now with the whole solar winds narrative uh you know, they they sort of make them look, you know, like they're building trust, right? Uh, it's in, the in other. It's right an outside now. force. Yeah, um, and it's important to point out Microsoft is a contractor to the U.S. national security state. They run the Pentagon's cloud now, uh, and they have extremely close ties to Israel's NSA equivalent, Unit 8200, that I've mentioned a few times. Um, like their whole cloud security infrastructure that's supposedly be, been hacked right now, was, was essentially set up and managed for years by this guy named Asaf Rappaport, who's a high-ranking guy in Unit 8200. And right as COVID hit, he leaves and sets up this new cybersecurity firm with this focus on battling the pandemic or something. <laughs> you know, like... Uh, right. And it's you know. very, very suspicious considering it's pretty well-known in 
like the technology industry that Microsoft's security is shit and their software yeah, yeah. sucks. Well, they're also super cozy with the World Economic Forum. Like several of Klaus Schwab's, I think two of his books that are on the fourth industrial revolution, sort of creating this automation nation, uh, the AI stuff. Uh, the forewords are written by, what's his name? Satya Nadella, who's like the CEO of Microsoft. <laughs> so, I mean, they're totally on board, you know, and they're part of ID2020 and all of these other related initiatives. So wild to see. Wasn't there a Maxwell connection to SolarWinds too? Uh, well, yeah, so this this company that I think was responsible, uh, you know, based on the the reasoning that they're saying, uh, you know, why they're investigating certain, well, let me rephrase that. Certain aspects of the case initially pointed to sort of like a contract or a subsidiary be, having been the entry point for the insertion of this code. And so, um, you know, they were suggesting like in the New York Times, and some other places, certain companies that could have been the entry point, right? But one they didn't talk about that's really telling is, uh, well, I'm not really sure how to pronounce it, um, but it's called, I, I think it's pronounced as Salmonage or, or Salmonage or something like that. And basically they got acquired in 2019, which is when the back door was inserted and right when this back door is supposedly um, <clears throat> implanted is when Salmonage's uh, software became completely integrated with the Orion software Salmonage is described in U.S. media reports as being based in North Carolina, but they're actually an Israeli company set up by a former top guy at the IDF Central Computing Unit. And if you look at all the, the main investors in this firm, uh, most of them have direct ties to Isabel Maxwell in some way. Yeah. So one, uh, the, the biggest investor, which is Viola Ventures, their subsidiary, Carmel Ventures that was over overseeing their investment in in Salmonage or, or whatever um, <clears throat> was being advised by Isabel Maxwell at the time. And they have a top guy who also used to be um, uh, run basically the venture capital firm of the Bronfman's in Israel called Claridge Israel. And he also worked with, uh, he's a founding director along with Isabel Maxwell at the Paris Center for Peace and Innovation, which also has the former head of Mossad, Tamar Pardo on the board. And they're all about basically seeding Unit 8200 founded tech companies into Silicon Valley, having them being acquired by bigger Silicon Valley companies, having those companies after the acquisition set up research and development centers in Israel. This is like a, an open policy that's been going on um, announced by you know the the prime minister's office of israel is where it originally came from but you know it's it's pretty much the standard for military and intelligence sort of this fusion with their private tech uh, tech sector and then sort of getting these companies uh, in uh, becoming uh, having them become integral parts of major businesses in other countries and using that for for influence um in in the cyber world and so it's interesting too that israel also has a, a lot of ties to the World Economic Forum and this fourth industrial revolution because they they basically are poised to have a major role in that because their economy is already so uh, tech-based and artificial intelligence-based and a lot of these big cybersecurity companies especially um, you know, have these these deep ties that persist in a lot of cases to the Israeli national security state, like Cyber Reason, which is one of the biggest cybersecurity firms like this. Their CEO is like, yeah, the, this company is a continuation of my my service in Israel's military intelligence. Like, you Mask can't be off. a more blatant front company than that. <laughs> I mean, right? It's nuts. Yeah. And, uh, this is, I mean, when 
you're describing that, I just couldn't help but think this is why free and open source software is so important. Totally. And before I forget, one of the other venture capital um, firms is called Gemini Israel Ventures. And the people that set that up were involved in the Jonathan Pollard scandal. And one of their first investments was the company uh, that Isabel Maxwell ended up leading in the late 90s called ComTouch, where she had these weird connections with um, both of Microsoft's co-founders, Bill Gates and Paul Allen, uh, who basically rescued ComTouch and according to Isabel Maxwell, put it on the map, uh, rescued their IPO uh, and among other things. And the way Isabel Maxwell talks about Bill Gates is literally mental, dude. Um, (laughs) Fangirl, big fangirl. I don't, I don't even know what to make of it. So it's in this 2003 article for in The Guardian. You, you can go and look it up. Um, it's, it, and she, she starts talking about Bill Gates, like giving her some, like giving money to her so that he can like maintain tax status. So I guess from the foundation that he had set up like just a couple years before this, this interview. And the way The Guardian describes how she talks, it says she put on, she started speaking in a faux Southern Bell accent. Uh, you have to keep in mind Isabel Maxwell, basically, she normally speaks with like a British sounding accent, mm-hmm. right? So she like starts talking like she's from like the, with like a Southern drawl out of nowhere. She's never done this anywhere else that I've seen, right? Um, the Southern drawl, and then they say that she purrs as she talks about getting money from Bill Gates. Purrs. I mean, it's like <laughs> so, so suspect, dude. It's creepy. <laughs> I know it's like creepy. creepy it's creepy how small the circle is and how intertwined it is with everything. Yeah, going on and yeah, that's for that's that's for sure. So yeah. I mean, it's also worth pointing out that Isabel Maxwell is one of the technology pioneers of the World Economic Forum. Lovely and is uh, still listed on their website as being that. So a lot of these technologies involving you know Ghislaine's sister, that's super uh, normal, right? Yeah, and to. Like you could be like, so I bet some freaks are out there like, oh, Ghislaine was a bad person, but that doesn't mean her sister is. And you, you have to remember what's, who their what's father was. What's also crazy, I don't know if you've looked at all into the Secretary of State pick for Biden, Tony Blinken, uh, but he in a lot of interviews talks about how the most influential, uh, the biggest influence on his life was his, was his stepfather, who is this guy named Samuel Pisar. Samuel Pisar was Robert Maxwell's lawyer, a longtime confidant, and believed to be the last guy to speak to him before he was killed on that yacht in 1991. Holy shit. So the Secretary of State has a direct tie to the whole Maxwell thing. And what's crazy is that last time this, you know, Biden-Obama faction was in power, the Middle East desk was run by Isabel Maxwell's son, Alex, um, I, I think his last name is pronounced like Dejurassi or something like that, but that's Isabel Maxwell's son with her first husband. And um, yeah, and see, he was running that big portfolio at a really young age in his early 20s, right, at the at the State Department. And there's interviews where Isabel Maxwell talks about how her son is a total Zionist like her and, um, you know, all this stuff. So, and, you know, Clinton was Secretary of State at the time, right, who had all these ties with Isabel's sister, Ghislaine. So they're really interested in the State Department, I guess. Uh, right. And now the top post is a... Uh, you know, uh, has this crazy tie to Maxwell's lawyer. At the time when Maxwell was doing all this shady financial stuff, like robbing the pension schemes and, you know, threatening Mossad for money. <laughs> yeah, and this was the... the Ballsy to do. The Secretary of State <laughs> has connections with the guy who was basically hired to cover that up, probably, or, or button it up. It's probably a better word. 
Yeah. Well, you also have to keep in mind, too, that Robert Maxwell gravely undermined U.S. national security through the Promise software scandal, selling bug software for a foreign intelligence service to U.S. national laboratories so Israel could spy on the U.S. nuclear program. Uh, yeah. At the same time, Jonathan Pollard was going on. The same guy responsible for Pollard um, and, and, and Promise at uh, Israeli intelligence at the time, Rafi Aiton, you know, he's responsible for both. So they're, they're interconnected uh, scandals aimed at spying on basically U.S. nukes um, and things that Israel wanted for its own, you know, illegal, technically uh, nuclear program since they won't declare it. So it's, uh, you know, <sighs> nuts that that's the tie <laughs> to the Secretary of State. Like, right. can we talk uh... about how these people are like criminals? I don't know. I think at this point, um, you know, talking about, uh, you know, political realities, a lot of people in the U.S. for too long have confused our political parties with organized crime. <laughs> They're organized, organized criminal factions, Clinton crime family, Bush crime family. I mean, all these guys are crime families, basically. Um, and we're treating them like they're here working for the people and they're, you know, they're working for the mob. <laughs> well, I found a, a state of Zen, I think, throughout this whole election and, uh, uh, sort of debacle that went on so wow. we can jump into that well i found a zen and we we're like i don't even want to pay attention to this stuff anymore i'm going to focus on bitcoin and building an open source solution to right on. this this mob uh, well, I mean, it was faction that we're all i felt like a lot of the stuff just like cartoonish reality tv right? it's like the, the news the mainstream media is getting lazy like the repetition and the 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 like buzzwords are so overt these days it's it's insane um, yeah well now they're so fawning over biden and and kamala right now instead of being like orange man bad they're like kamala's shoes good right. <laughs> and the, you know talking again, a about bunch of clothes. a bunch of tweets like yeah, i watched like, i, I watched mean, the inauguration with my three-year-old and she looked at me and said i'm proud to be a girl today mommy like it's, it's like your kid didn't say that Oh my God. No. Oh my God. That's so insane. But I mean, the, the fawning is just like at a new level. Like you have like neocon extraordinaire Max Boot at the Washington Post saying Lady Gaga's rendition of the national anthem was a, a balm for America's no wounded soul. Like, I don't know. Total clown world. Um, at, right. at a level never before seen. But, it, you know, it makes them even more farcical. But at the same time, the people who who follow them and believe them are going to become even more detached from the reality of the situation in the country and just going to be in this crazy bubble of, of hopium uh, driven by identity politics and other shallow, meaningless, meaningless crap. You know, I mean, it's just right. It's, it's ridiculous. So totally. let's, let's do a retrospective on everything that's happened since November 3rd. So put, put this in the context of the U S elections, what happened? So, Last time we spoke, we were expecting, you were expecting uh, drama on election day in the form of violence. What we got was like just confusion, really, at the end of the day. Yeah. It went through the night. There was some weird uh, jumps uh, in the middle of the night. And then, obviously, there was the uncertainty of who was president for quite some time. Uh, you had all like the legal stuff going on in the background, the the hearings in many states and at, at the federal level as well. Uh, and then you have January 6th, the quote unquote storming domestic terrorism attack. <laughs> worst, worst moment for the U S since nine 11 is Jake Tapper 
won't stop parroting. Oh my god! Uh, or or that, they they also got they also compared it to Pearl Harbor. That was Chuck Schumer. It's fucking and then, insane. Uh, Cory Booker said the War of eighteen twelve, right? Um, I don't know. I mean, these comparisons are are freaking nuts. But they show you like the huge degree they rely on civil religion and statism to sell this crap. They're not they're only like, nuts; they're insulting. It's like what? Yeah. How, well, the stuff you... where it's like they desecrated our sacred democracy by coming into the special chamber at the time of the special vote ritual, and you know, nothing has ever been worse for uh, our society. My favorite was the I don't I forget who it was the representative or the senator with like the whole bag over his head like we're evacuating oh, the, evacu- the, the evacuation hoods well they all technically had that on right but they looked yeah. really uh they looked pretty silly not they not looked- a not a good time for selfies uh right so that's that's one thing about again i found my zen i'm focusing on bitcoin but the whole i didn't i didn't watch it as it was unraveling other than seeing people tweet about it but the whole storming the capital it just seemed so scripted like and the, you said yeah. the word, the, like, they desecrated they didn't desecrate anything like no no pictures were torn down like nothing was actually they broke like, but they broke some windows and some doors right and they sat in nancy pelosi's chair, sacred chair <laughs> <laughs> and now right. they're going to prison for 25 years because of an executive order that trump passed last year that was supposed to protect monuments during uh the protests last year so there's a good example of how both parties have made it, um, you know, Worse. criminalized protest. Um, doesn't matter what side you're on. And what do you know now? Uh, January 6th, it was all about the far right supremacists and whatever uh, extremists. And now it's uh, back to Antifa. Look how the pendulum has swung. Oh, look, they're attacking Biden's offices. Oh, now we're deplatforming Antifa from Twitter. I mean, right. they have this set up so that they can switch the boogeyman whenever they want. And so they can basically make these giant straw men and people on either side of the ideological divide, right? No matter what part of the spectrum they're on, they can just try and plop Push them, them that way. Uh, in one of these. And QAnon is a really interesting straw man they've made because not only have they tried to make that just a general thing for all Trump supporters, but also people that are critical of the COVID-19 vaccine they're trying to say are QAnon. And people that do Epstein research they're trying to say is QAnon, saying like Epstein gave QAnon everything they wanted and helped uh, fuel it, you know. Well, it, the Epstein scandal's a real freaking case, assholes. Um, but they're also calling it, and I think this is really telling, Epstein research as being the gateway to QAnon. Like, oh, can't look at that, or you might get into QAnon, which is domestic terrorism. So I think it's only a matter of time before a lot of inconvenient narratives to the establishment start getting thrown under the QAnon banner or the Antifa banner or whatever as we go forward. I mean, but this is a war on domestic terrorism. It's a war on dissent and just regular people that aren't down with this bullshit agenda they're trying to ram through. Right. And the controlled opposition is is their modus operandi, right? And so QAnon theory that has been popping up and I've caught attention in the last week is is the fact that Soviet Russia had a similar controlled opposition movement called like the truth movement or something like that i forget exactly what it was but it's extremely yeah similar operation to what's trust go- was the one that came out yeah but it's worth pointing yeah. out that intelligence agencies around the world rely on those tactics like that's not an exclusive russia tactic uh the no. cia's done stuff like that in countries like all over the world and also in the u.s no right? no i wasn't trying to paint out that, Ru- that russia's doing well, that here but like it has been used <laughs> to 
forced totally it, like it, authoritarian it, it, communist ideals totally he went on as 100 percent a psyop um who exactly was responsible uh you know uh was it the military uh, military intelligence was it more you know in the in proper intelligence community um was it a foreign was it did it involve foreign intelligence you know some people have say, said it was uh, the fbi cyber unit that was most involved i mean we don't really know right but mm -hmm. uh it's pretty clear that it was a psyop, and if you read uh, Obama uh, advisor Cass Sunstein's paper that he put out be before QAnon even popped out on the map. By the way, Sunstein now advises the World Health Organization on COVID <laughs> COVID nineteen vaccines. Anyway, this guy was saying we need to basically find a way to infiltrate conspiracy movements in order to make conspiracy theorists love government instead of express distrust and hatred of government, which is how conspiracy theories normally go. Right. So what did QAnon do? I mean, it gave them exactly what they wanted in that sense. Um, right. Trust the plan, uh, sit there and wait. Um, where we go, we, where we go one, we all go or something yeah. like that. Well, QAnon that also got, if you, if you didn't like look at this stuff occasionally, you may have missed this. Some, or some people may have missed this, but it, it merged a lot with like new age movements and stuff. So this whole, where we go one, we go all thing. I mean, there were some people in, in the QAnon circuit. Well, the QAnon shaman's one of these guys too, right? That, that, that sort of blend the QAnon ideology with new age stuff. And there were some that thought Trump was going to usher in like the new age and create the shift uh, by bringing justice and all of this stuff. I mean, ooh, dude. It's all uh, very, it's all very appealing, right? Uh, yeah. Well, if you add the spiritual element, it can get more culty, right? Yeah. So it becomes like religious and political. And uh, yeah, those can get a real hold on people's minds really easily um when, when yeah, you did, add that element to it so i think that was part of the part of the setup i did my qa non research last year probably around like spring like when the, the lockdown started and just like because i heard people talking about it so much i was like all right what the hell is this let me check out what's going on here and it's like this guy keeps predicting stuff and never like following through like how how could you like keep following this <laughs> right um so um i want to go back to what you brought up earlier about um the election right and, and election day and in its aftermath so um before the election a lot of the stuff i was i was talking about was related to this war on uh, domestic terror that we're now seeing come out now and i had thought it was probably going to be on election day or closer to election day or as the votes were being counted but we're seeing it pop up instead in relation to the confirmation of the uh, election right and in inauguration and whatnot. But the reason I was worried about this was because last March, um, there was this congressional hearing. And of course, that's when like the COVID stuff really started to get crazy. Um, so a lot of people didn't pay attention to like congressional hearings on uh, domestic terrorism, right? But there was one with DHS and the FBI and all this stuff. And they basically announced that they were going to do this pivot to the war on terror, that the FBI unit that had previously basically done entrapment plots of Muslim Americans after 9-11, creating all these fake terror plots and then busting them at the last minute and being like, this justifies our massive budget increases. Give us more surveillance powers. Give us more money. Right. So and it, moving away from Muslim Americans, they're going to focus on white Americans that they deem anti-Semitic and that they're being advised specifically by the Anti-Defamation League. 
about who's a terrorist and who's not uh, in, in the various localities around the 56 FBI field offices, uh, which is really crazy when you consider the, you know, the, the ADL's history, which I can talk about um, in a little bit if, you'd, if you would like. But then you had the lady from DHS um, basically saying that there was going to be a repeat of, of, you know, an Oklahoma City style type thing and basically started warning, we can see another 9-11 building uh, and we can't quite stop it and we have to censor speech, we need more tools to combat this and all of this stuff. And this was last March and a lot of, you know, um, by that time there were all these narratives from national security state people. And, and career spooks and stuff saying that the 2020 election uh, was going to completely uh, undermine Americans, a majority of Americans trust in the election system, basically paving the way for sort of a new form of governance where even the illusion of democracy isn't there. Um, and it's basically a, you know, a shift to, you know, a more authoritarian style of government uh, pretty, you know, in, in a more open way than it ever has been. Uh, in the United States. And, you know, we're pretty much, uh, you know, between election day and inauguration day, the 20th, I mean, we made some big jumps in that sense. So how did all these national security state guys, uh, why were they talking about how this was going to happen in 2019? And why did the DHS lady say, oh, we can see it building, but we can't quite stop it, which in, you know, US spook speak, is like, uh, we're going to let we're this orchestrating happen. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're going to set something up. And DHS is, uh, I mean, you can argue, um, and I actually personally believe this, that DHS was always really set up for a war on domestic terror, that even though after it was set up 9-11 under the pretext of fighting foreign terror in domestic borders, it was always set up to target domestic terrorism um, or, or to be a, to have this focus on domestic terrorism and, and going after dissent in the U.S. because this is a, a goal that has been, you know, uh, really pioneered by the CIA and other countries like the CIA's Phoenix program in Vietnam and later uh, the CIA's role in basically planning and setting up Operation Condor in Latin America um, in the 80s it has all been uh, a lot of those people from the CIA that were involved in those programs uh, were behind the pivot to homeland security and homeland defense in the late 90s. Um, and a lot of them set up the infrastructure and the legislation for what would become DHS, which used to be the National Homeland Security Agency when it was uh, being planned out. But like the think the the research centers that would become DHS's research centers and all of this stuff were set up uh, a year to two years before 9-11 by former CIA deputy directors and all of this stuff, right? And so 9-11 happens and they create this agency. So was it was DHS always about stopping foreign terrorists here? I mean, if they were doing stuff like the Phoenix program, uh, and, and had, you know, a lot of ties to, like, uh, the most undercovered part of the Iran-Contra scandals in the 80s, which was this continuity of government protocol uh, to round up uh, anyone that could be considered a dissenter in a time of national crisis, uh, that includes uh, ever having attended a protest, not paying your taxes, uh, among other things, could get you on this list back in the 80s that was set up by intelligence uh, Oliver North and all of that stuff, and and this guy named General Poindexter, and Poindexter and and people that were involved with the Maxwell family, like Alan Wade, the former chief um, information officer of the CIA who set up Kiliad with Christine Maxwell. Um, these guys uh, were actually intimately involved in the creation of Palantir, which today. 
they say knows everything about you, is basically uh, a contractor to every U.S. intelligence agency, the military. Uh, they have a, they're basically running in a big way uh, the logistics for Operation Warp Speed um, and uh, COVID contact tracing in the U.S. and the U.K., all of the coronavirus uh, data from HHS is being managed by Palantir. Um, you know, these guys have a lot of power and it's the same people that originally wanted to create this system to go after Americans. And it's no coincidence that Palantir uh, has a label that it uses, that it offers to intel the intelligence community and the military and whatever to label people on which it has profiles. Uh, and they label them as subversives, right? Is one of the labels that you can choose from Palantir's uh, list uh, to categorize people. So why would they have that uh, label if they had no intention of uh, doing something with those subversives at some point? Right. Are we subversives? <sighs> yeah. Well, I, you know, if we're going to call January 6th uh, sedition uh, and, and make sedition a new charge to levy against people, uh, yeah, because sedition is basically advocating the overthrow of part or all of the government. So if I yeah. say something like, we need to abolish the CIA, you know, and it's not hard for them to wiggle out a sedition charge uh, because of the Sedition Act is something that comes from uh, World War I, which was really Orwellian and draconian for its time domestically uh, to force Americans to support the, the war effort. A lot of the stuff that went on then was really crazy, but the Sedition Act, of course, has been used since then to go after whistleblowers uh, legitimate whistleblowers, uh, lengthy prison sentence sentences, you know, involved in in some of the the charges against WikiLeaks and you know the, these claims of sedition, and then you have these people being uh, having the doors open for them by police into the Capitol. Come on in, this is your house, right? and all this stuff they were saying, and then you know they're invited in by the cops, and then they're committing sedition. Uh, how many of those people thought they were allowed to be in there? Uh, you know, as opposed to, oh, we're going to go in and do a coup, you know, they, they, you have to think about how many people are at that rally and how many faces of people, how many, you know, that they promote. And if you look, if you think of the personalities, I guess you could say from January 6th that are heavily promoted. I mean, it's a lot, it's not that many people. You have like the guy that wore the anti-Semitic hoodie. You have the QAnon shaman guy. You have the podium guy. Uh, you know, uh, and, and a couple others that were have just, you know, their faces have been out there over and over again. And some of the people that ended up getting filmed and they were like, ooh, about later, when the cops are letting people in, you can see from other footage that they were behind the cops. They'd already been let in before they were letting the, the protesters in or whatever. So how many yeah. people there were agent provocateurs that were there, planted there to be photographed by the media. I mean, I think a lot of what happened January 6th was about uh, trying to amp the fear, manufacture consent for domestic terrorism and get false and flag. Was, totally. I mean, it was for media. I think it was a media yeah. a to uh -huh. get media you have, footage you have, and pictures to sell this new narrative. You have Don Lemon and Jake Tapper like, oh, oh my God, this is as bad as 9-11. It's like, what the fuck? Like, they're like, they're trying to manipulate people. And another thing I want to bring Thousands up. Thousands of know. people died on 9-11. And it was right? like five it's, it's, people died. At the Six people died. And then there was a cop that killed himself. And they tried to blame it on the It's on insulting. The yeah. It's insulting. And it's yes. disgusting. And another thing I want to bring up that's happened between uh, the January 6th event and the election was the thing in Nashville. Like, that was another thing where the FBI knew something about 
or a year, a year or two before he was reported for making bombs in his van. They didn't do anything. Um, you know, some shady stuff for yeah. sure going on there. But the FBI is has been super shady for a really long time. Uh, I mean, their founding director, J. Edgar Hoover, uh, loved to blackmail people. He was blackmailed himself by both the mob and U.S. intelligence before the CIA even existed when it was, you know, the Office of Strategic Services. And he never went after organized crime in the U.S. because they had all this dirt on him. Uh, and, you know, uh, then it just be totally merged with U.S. intelligence uh, from World War II on and Hoover never went after it. Now the FBI works for them as their cover-up artists. Uh, or the people that create situations uh, for their policies in the case of these terror entrapment plots that they make. Yeah. Yeah. And then like the rushing of the Capitol too, there's that weird video of the CNN producer being like, we got in, like we did it. Um, yeah. Or the fact was... that there was a head of a psyops unit that led a group of people to the rally from North Carolina um, and they were like, you're a psyops officer. And she was like, oh, but I was there as a private citizen. And you're like, do hmm. I trust you? <laughs> right. right? Um, you know, just a lot of red flags around that event in general. And also the fact that who's been held accountable at the DC police? So many videos of them, uh, of there not being selfies. enough people, of them taking selfies, of them letting people in. And if these people that were in there are being given like 25 year sentences where... What about the police officers that are on video facilitating a lot of this horrible activity? Yeah, and then, like, it's particularly disgusting, too, because it was, again, comparing it to 9-11 or Pearl Harbor, it's like, what the fuck are you, like, you're way overstepping your boundary here, where it's like, all right, like, how desperate are you for this? And then the reaction, like, Inauguration Day, like, erecting fences, bringing 80,000 troops into D.C., not letting anybody in, like, it looked like, and it was hilarious, because... Like, it actually, like, no, I'm not going to get into that, but it, like, it, it was pretty insane how they used that capital bum rush, which, in my opinion, was completely weak and, like, set up. Like, I'm sorry, I believe yeah. that. It's, it's, like, just looking at, like, I, I know what I see, and that's, like, not right. an insurrection attempt to... That, that's not a domestic yeah. terrorist well, the, attack. The words they're using to describe it are freaking crazy. And the stuff that's coming out of the supposed progressive members of Congress's mouths. They want to make lists. Lists. Re-education camps. They're, they're talking about it. They're clearly plants that are just there in this particular time to say the stuff that is going to trigger the QAnon people and a lot of people on the right and even in the center the most to exacerbate these already existing divides. Um, and, you know, I've been critical of AOC from the very beginning. I went through her Green New Deal when it first came out, when she first got elected to the House. And it was all about letting the Fed print all this money to fund all this stuff and making all these bonds and cap and trade and, you know, financial fuckery and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, I see what you are, you know. Um, and here we are with her just going out there and saying literally the most ridiculous stuff. Um, you know, yeah, she's a, she's a puppet. Ooh, um, yeah, dude. And it, it, it shows, but I mean, if you start to think about how these people, uh, what, what they've been saying over the years, it becomes really obvious what they are like Ilhan Omar, who's supposed to be, you know, progressive, right? Yay. Democratic socialist says her heroes are Margaret Thatcher and Madeline Albright. Yeah, right. I mean, okay, 
progressive heroes uh margaret thatcher i mean dude dude you're clearly just there to sell the identity politics if you know you're a progressive that loves thatcher you know i mean it's yeah. just like wild to be like she was a powerful woman and i want to be a powerful woman ergo hero like that's like literally just so dumb so yes. i don't think they really believe it i think they're there to promote these people and try and get the these people on on the left that want real change to just be like oh well you know what Ilhan Omar is, is awesome and she says Madeleine Albright's pretty cool so I guess the Clinton years weren't that bad or something and sort of like re-elevate these these atrocious figures from our political past you know like how George W. Bush has been totally re reinvented by the media in the past several years and they're like he's oh, a lovely painter he's a lovely painter paintings um and as opposed to like this man should be in prison for the rest of his life they're like puppy paintings and oh he can't put on a poncho silly george war criminal mass murderer george uh <laughs> you know it's just uh it's, it's nuts. It, no and it, again the fawning in the media is like nauseating it's like oh we're back to normal We've well, now that they don't have Trump, back. I feel like their ratings are going to go to total shit, especially if it's just this fawning stuff. Like, let us worship their wardrobes and Bernie Sanders mittens, which like several days oh after gosh. inauguration, people can't stop memeing. And it's like, dude, it was January in D.C. and the dude wore mittens. Like, calm down. <laughs> yeah, he's like 80 years old, too. <laughs> like, yeah, dude. Uh, when it's cold and you're stuck outside for a couple hours, you, you kind of, a lot of people wear gloves and mittens, but it's like, oh, I don't know. Just, you know. Yeah. It's Let's focus on culture. that and not the fact that, like, Biden's nominations are crazy people and he has control of the House and the Senate and they are just going to steamroll the living crud out of our civil liberties in a matter of weeks. Um, you know, well, this... so we're all talking about Bernie Sanders mittens yeah good good on you everybody but this is where we flip it to an optimistic view of the future again i found my zen focusing really? on bitcoin and <laughs> we're just like Boy, don't focus freaks yeah. don't focus on the politics don't get caught up in it like like don't go bum rush the capitol building instead work on open source software that frees you from their surveillance systems yeah dude because going to the capitol now you can't do that anymore. After January 6th, you can't do that. And also the fact that they're treating that as an act of domestic terrorism means that if you try and do a sit-in style protest in any federally owned building from now on, they're going to, they can easily terrorist. slap that same charge. Yeah, the same charge on you. Be like, you're a domestic terrorist. They want to pass new domestic terrorism laws that'll make things that aren't currently illegal. Federal terrorism offenses and some things that are like misdemeanors right now, federal terrorism defenses, or uh, sorry, crimes, bleh. Uh, you know, uh, I should get more sleep, but yeah, no, you wouldn't be able to do you, these days. <laughs> when so you wouldn't be able to do a sit in, you wouldn't be able to do a sit in at the Capitol anyway. They build a wall. Yeah. So there goes, you know, one of the biggest tools for nonviolent protests. They have gotten that out of the way. Can't do that now. And most right. of the people that were doing sit ins and that type of protest, you know, before January 6th, those were progressives and people on the left going and yeah. sitting out of like Pelosi's offices and all this stuff. Uh, yeah, no, that's not going to happen anymore. One of the biggest tools in the toolkit of the civil rights movement. Uh, you can't do that anymore. It's now domestic terrorism and it's people on the progressive left cheering this crap on when all this domestic terrorism type infrastructure historically goes after minorities and like environmental activists and people normally associated with progressive causes. 
right? So for them to be cheerleading this, um, I think it's no coincidence. I think they are trying to get us so divided that we all uh, cheer on the building of our own collective prison because we think it will imprison the other team. Yes, uh, and we're both going uh, to shit together, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I retweeted uh, last week a video of Noam Chomsky on a recent interview trying uh, to he's stress. A Screw him. Anyway. Um. <laughs> well, I think. I, I, well, I think I agree. He's a gatekeeper, but I think he has been ardent free speech advocate, and he did describe the situation like the left was considered free speech advocates a long time ago. Now it's the right, and what you have to realize is the the, the powers that be just want to crush dissent and they'll do that whether you're on the left or on the right yeah they do not care about you no not at all and they've totally in the past four years especially through russiagate made democrats uh establishment democrats like one of the worst things ever i mean if you put cia former cia director john brennan and former head of national intelligence james clapper who like should be in prison for perjury. Uh, you know, he's a known liar. Yeah, they put him on CNN, they put them on MSNBC, and they fill these people's heads with like all these intelligence talking points, and they don't know what's up or down. I mean, you think the CIA tells you the truth about anything, dude? I mean, <laughs> oh, dude, that's sad. Um, you know, I mean, yeah. it was Bill Casey, right? The CIA director under Reagan, he was like, we know our disinfo campaign will be complete when everything Americans believe is false. And yeah, dude, now they're not even, they don't even need Operation Mockingbird anymore. They just roll out the spooks themselves and are like, this is truth. Uh, all right. People eat it up. People eat it up. Yeah. And then you have Bill Crystal, neocon PNAC being a resistance hero, and George W. Bush is like, oh, what a snuggly puppy painter and and all of this crap i mean yeah so now we have democrats being the people that i mean they're analogous from republicans we're seeing the formation of the uniparty what the uh landmark dystopian novel from the 20s we uh calls the one state right we're basically there where future elections are going to be run on microsoft's election guard software microsoft's already said that by the way the next president presidential election will be national nationwide uh, Microsoft election guard. So there really are no more elections people. So if you're like the solution to our problems is to make a new political party. Uh, we are way past that. Yes, we are way it's... past that point. So, uh, time to wake up. You can't because rely those... on that anymore. I think there's a good, I can say very confidently those election systems could be open sourced. Like you could open source that software instead of having to rely on Microsoft. You can well, have individuals. So Election Guard says it's open source and it is, right? But the type of encryption they use, uh, oh, I can't remember the name because I wrote this article two years ago. But anyway, it um it basically allows uh, easy manipulation, not of the data within, but the end results, the tabulations of the votes. Yeah, it's so, not open source. I mean, open source that. Yeah, open source that cryptography li- library or get the fuck out, right? Like. Uh, why can't we just walk away? See, this is we need to walk away from these people, Whitney. We don't need to. Yeah, play but people into their are games. so enslaved by existing tech and comfort of their lifestyle up to this point that they're unwilling to make these new changes and these jumps into other well, systems. Well, and... that's sort of the catch twenty two that these incumbents are putting us in, right? They're mm-hmm. forcing everybody off platforms, or people are going to build these systems now. So, like, how's your experience with Bitcoin been? I know. Um, You've you've been working with, with with a freak to to get a, a BTC pay server set up. How's yeah. that been? Well, that server set up because he is awesome. So shout out to him. 
uh, for totally ruling. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, uh, I've been trying to focus on, on work in my Epstein book, so I, I'm still having problems cashing out. But part of that's because of my legal status here where I live in Chile and I'm not in the U.S. I don't have a U.S. Yeah. bank account and all of that stuff. So, But you don't have you're not having problems receiving, right? No, no, no. Uh, I'll uh, I'll post on Twitter later the 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 link for that for anyone interested in in sending some some crypto um, my way and on our way, really, because I, you know, my site Unlimited Hangout, uh, you know, I employ some other people besides me that right there do good stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Make sure you're holding as much Bitcoin as possible. That's the the only advice I'd I'd give. Yeah, well, what's going back to what we started off talking about with like the solar wind setup and stuff, uh, it's very apparent that it's going to be a cyber attack that's going to take down the financial system to an extent. Because why would all these former banking executives turn cybersecurity experts be simulating this with the World Economic Forum alongside uh, some of the biggest banks in the world? Like you have Deutsche Bank that yeah, desperately I mean, wants to collapse. They want any excuse to collapse. They can hardly keep it together anymore. Right? Well, yeah, Standard, that's I, one of the most derivative exposed banks in Europe also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, Deutsche Bank's derivative exposure is nauseating. And so yeah, like that's yeah. like, I don't think they want to control demolition of the financial system because they want to like reset society per se. Though it could certainly help in those regards. I think they've just genuinely fucked up the financial system so well, yeah bad. no no i mean they absolutely have uh, they want. Th so that's part of it right so they can have an excuse for the damage that's coming and and they don't have to take any responsibility they can be like right. oh it was the cyber attack right because that's if people be their cop out knew that they were responsible you know the whole world economic forum agenda this year of building trust wouldn't work right it but, no uh, and, but like, how oh, do people billionaires that got us into all these different messes and now you want to save us from the messes you put us all in right. you know i mean that's basically the world's econ what the world econ economic forum uh, relies on you not realizing <laughs> about them um and and who they represent and who they who they work for basically i mean they're they're the global elite and it's transnational all the world leaders go there they send envoys like it's the freaking un no one elected these assholes nobody but they're getting sloppy, which I think is going to be. Because they're like, arrogant. They're really confident. And they I think, think it's they have be, it in the back. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be the their Achilles heel is they're, they're being very sloppy. It's like so overt. If you really pay attention, it's like, what the fuck? Like, well, the elite I'm, mindset, they think we're dumb little turds and rats. There is this crazy World Economic Forum speech that was actually like the top speech at, at Davos last year. It was like some really important panel, the keynote for it. And it was given by this philosopher from Israel named uh, Yuval Noah Harari. Yeah. And at the Sapien end of it, sucks. Oh, this guy is, is like, oh, not just anti-human. I mean, he's just like, his ideas are sinister. Uh, he talks about at one point how in the future... Uh, you'll be listening to a speech on the radio from the the technocracy's dictator, the future technocracy's dictator. And even if you're smiling and clapping, they'll know how you feel on the inside. And if you're angry, you'll be in the gulag the next morning. That's ex that's like straight up what he says in that video. What? Yeah, yeah. That like they're gonna know uh, what you what you think and feel. And they'll be able to know if you have the wrong feelings at the wrong time and, and all of this stuff and punish you accordingly. 
right? Uh, and, and that is just nuts. I mean, because if you listen to people like Harari, I mean, he's like a spokesman for, for not just global, communism, but a lot of this transhumanist stuff too. And he talks about how now we're at a point where all these uh, technologies are available that we can now hack human beings. And he says, we're no longer spiritual souls, mysterious spiritual souls. We are now hackable animals. Mm. Uh, and then he talks about at the end, you know, all of these technologies, technologies are dangerous. We need a learned elite to build the, a new system that, that prevents the worst from happening. Uh, and if the elite don't do it, he says, the rats will make the new system. The rats. Uh, that doesn't he enrage you, face, He makes this face of like total contempt when he says rats. He like almost growls it, right? And then the lady at the end, who's also Israeli and is like, I think the chairwoman of Bain Capital is there. And after he ends his speech, she's like, well, let's certainly hope that the rats don't get control or something. Oh my gosh. Yeah, people should go and watch this video. I'm gonna be doing a live stream watch along of it uh, before the new Davos, because I know the new Davos is gonna give me a lot of fodder too for, you know, uh, world elite fuckery. That's basically my my uh, acronym version of the World Economic Forum. <laughs> because i mean it's, that's that's what that's what it is um well bitcoiners are are hirari based already because that book sapien is such a hogwash piece of shit especially the way he describes how money uh yeah. money is a shared illusion well it's not really i mean look case. at the people who promote hirari it's like obama mark zuckerberg i mean mark zuckerberg interviews hirari in some video and zuckerberg's just like giddy you don't see that dude giddy ever. And he's just like, this guy, this guy's the philosopher of the dystopia we want to build. And he's like all excited and it's a uh, yikes, dude. But people really need to know how these people think and they view us as rats. I mean, it's not just they don't care about you, they detest you. And so they think so lowly of us, that's why they're so complacent. Cause they're like, these people are stupid, ignorant fucks basically. And they'll never be able to dig themselves out of the hole we've spent decades putting them in um and you know they're like sheep and we can herd them and make them our our livestock and we can live off of you know their toil and <laughs> and whatever uh for the for forever basically um you know is where is where this is going and i really wish more people would wake up and, and see the ruse but i think it's no coincidence that you're having such a huge divide and conquer uh, system really being set up in the U.S. right now um, at a time when the elites, whether it's left-wing billionaires or right-wing billionaires, right, uh, they're those guys have teamed up and are working to the same ends. You know, you have uh, what Peter Thiel, the libertarian, uh, they say, uh, billionaire, right, working with all these uh, other left-wing billionaires to create this this techn technocratic police state. So they're working together despite their ideological differences, we're told, right? So why can't we, you know? Well, exactly. And so that's like, I guess, like, how do we get people to recognize they're intentionally being divided and pit against each other? Well, basically, you... you uh... A lot of this has to come from independent media because a, a lot of what's facilitating this divide and conquer stuff is coming from mainstream media and, and government sources so that you have to push back against those narratives. And it's no coincidence we're seeing these, this huge censorship push now. 
um, more than ever because you have to challenge these narratives they're making. So for example, if they want to paint a certain uh, image of the, you know, what's going on in the US and what the Biden administration's doing, you know, they leave out the creepy legislation that, that they're pushing through or that they're introducing and all of this stuff or the hypocritical stuff or the contradictory stuff. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of times it's only independent media that'll highlight a lot of those stories that mainstream media intentionally doesn't cover because it's not just that mainstream media in often cases they'll, they'll tell, you know, at this point, overt lies and stories and build stories around overt lies. But a lot of the quote unquote lying is them lying by omission, right? They just avoid covering things that are inconvenient to the narrative. And so they basically get memory hold immediately, or they, it's, it's almost as if they never happened because they don't get any sort of public exposure. Uh, and a lot of times those stories are really important. And it's mostly people in independent media that are covering that. But unfortunately, in independent media right now, so many people have fallen into this divide and conquer trap, hook, line, and sinker, and it is depressing as fuck. Um, like a lot of very ardent anti-imperialists that if this was being done in any other country would know exactly what's going on. It's happening in the US and they are, they're basically on board. And that is very unfortunate. Though it has made for a lot of good tweets where you can show that the people advocating for censorship of speech have gotten censored and then they cry about it and you can put them side by side and be like, hypocrite, that's right. not how free speech works. Doesn't we it warned, suck when you get censored, you know? Uh, we warned you of the slippery slope. Right, uh, right. Nah, but a lot of people like, you know, they just get so emotional. And, and that's what a lot of this January 6th stuff was about, working up a certain faction of the country into an emotional frenzy where they're not thinking rationally anymore. They're all thinking based on emotional responses to images and, and symbols and, and all of this stuff, right? And, and words, so, right. domestic terrorism, 9-11. Pearl well, Harbor. Like the AOC boom, said boom. you're either with the people or you're with the mob is just like the neocon talking point from the Bush era. You're either with us or you're with the terrorists. Right. Um, it's you, eat, you eat French fries or freedom fries. Pick one. Oh, my God. I, I mean, I bet we'll see something like that soon, you know, uh, for the new <laughs> war on domestic terror. It's only a matter of time. But I mean, there were some ridiculous tweets that came out, people being like, I automatically assume everyone with American flag on their in their yard or on their car are racist. I mean, um, that doesn't make logical sense. Um, and it, well, it just also shows that a lot of these people are like insulated in like ideological bubbles. They don't interact with like a, a lot of Americans that are different or maybe believe different things and aren't necessarily racist or bad people but like you know you can't make <laughs> broad generalizations like that like it makes zero sense um especially if you apply it to any other country um i mean it's out of control and they you know they they let those people like to make the point that like oh the u.s has been built on white supremacy and racial inequality well that's certainly true but i mean what the fuck biden uh eulogized the worst segregationist in, in u.s congressional history and wrote the 94 crime bill and uh look look at what his policies have done to african americans and you want to give power to dhs uh to do a war on domestic terror when the people that they're currently putting they've been putting in cages or whatever for years are brown people <laughs> and you want to give those guys the power to like infinite power to go after you know whoever they decide is a terrorist uh, that's going to end well for you like yeah. i mean it's clown world do you know if you're black and you didn't vote for joe biden you're actually not black according to joe oh yeah biden. according to joe biden because he he clearly knows how race works um <laughs> 
and how most things work. It's not like he's senile at all. Though I don't know what they have him on, but he can make it through speeches now. So so that's that's the other thing. Like, how do you view this moving forward? Like, they're all so goddamn old. Pelosi, Biden, the Clintons, the Bushes. Do they have? I mean, we mentioned AOC, Elon. Do they have like really strong people to take over the reins of this? Yeah, I think we're going to see a bigger role for the squad going forward. Um, But, I mean, the way that those people are acting shows you that they are going to be elevated by the establishment because what they're advocating is fundamentally authoritarian. It's crazy and it's not progressive at all. Also, you know, I think it's no coincidence that the progressive movement in the U.S. has made their main focus Medicare for all. Uh, And if you consider what's being done right now to the U.S. health system under the guise of covid and the, this creation, it, like the role, huge role Silicon Valley is taking in, in health data, your genomic data, and what their visions are for the future of the U.S. healthcare system. I don't want Medicare for all if that's the only health system that's going to be available. You know what I mean? And so, like, they're asking for the service. And, I mean, they'll get it eventually, right? But only once that infrastructure that no one freaking wants, it's like about... Uh, you know, healthcare being a way, a new way of surveillance is basically what they're setting up, right? Okay, it's free, yeehaw, but, um, you know, it, it's it's taking us on the path to transhumanist serfdom. Uh, yeah. So, you know, that's something I think that's getting left out of that whole Medicare for all discussion at all. And I, But I think the U.S. government for years has always been very uh, afraid of progressive leaders and progressive movements, especially if you look at their, you know, assassination records in the 1960s, what kind of leaders uh, got targeted. So uh, they definitely have spent this time building up to this, ensuring that their most controlled opposition movement in the U.S. political scene are the progressives, in my opinion. And a lot of times progressives, I know a lot, um, a lot of people identify as progressive, right? And they're really good people. Um, and, and they care a lot about morality and ethics and all this stuff. But a lot of them tend to be really emotional in their decision making when things like this do get uh, drummed up by the media. And um, people just, I mean, I really hope these guys, I mean, a lot of my interviews past uh, insurrection, right? I tried to talk uh, more than anyone else to progressive audiences because they really need to know the history of, of what the national security state does when it gets the sort of power and who it targets and they're asking us to build our own prison and people need to see through this ruse um and unfortunately there's just so much divisiveness in independent media right now or unwillingness to talk about the real uh most pressing issues facing the country um and just trying to rehash uh you know talking points or be like look at this msm clip oh they said dumb stuff and you know just totally avoiding a lot of these hot button issues that like maybe it's controversial to talk about the great reset oh no you're worried about being labeled a crazy conspiracy theorist but you know i mean these guys are playing for keeps at this point if you can't see what's happening uh, and they're they're playing for keeps and they're playing out they're playing out in public too like yeah. they're ta- they're saying great reset. They're telling us what they plan on doing. Like, like they 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 use all the terms. Oh, we're gonna build back better. Oh, it's a global partnership now. Uh, they're all wearing the little like UN twenty thirty rainbow circle buttons and on their lapels and all this stuff. I mean, uh, I mean they're being pretty open about it. And even if you just investigate like uh, the main people at like places like the World Economic Forum, you'll see them cross pollinate with just like all the elites and all these different organizations. One I came across recently that's freaking crazy is called the Council for Inclusive Capitalism. 
Uh, one of the people there is the CEO of Salesforce, Mark Binioff, who's also head of the World Economic Forum, or the inaugural chair, sorry, of the World Economic Forum, Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution in San Francisco. You know, the building of smart cities and, and 5G and, and AI-based societies and all of this stuff. And he's on there. Uh, and, and this inclusive this <laughs> inclusive capitalism thing is, is, is nominally run by the Vatican. It's the Pope. And he gives all these uh, members of the elite that are part of this moral guidance and how to create a new economic system that works for everyone. And you have the CEO of like Visa, MasterCard, uh, DuPont Chemical, uh, Johnson & Johnson, Merck, the big vaccine companies. Uh, and you also have the Lauder family, like Estee Lauder, who were part of the, like Ronald Lauder's part of the, the Epstein scandal related mega group. Uh, and you have Lynn Forrester de Rothschild on there too, whose uh, new uh, project is called Inclusive Capital Partners. She's a big promoter of this whole idea. Uh, and she's a close associate of Jeffrey Epstein and Clinton. She's actually the person that facilitated Jeffrey Epstein's entry into Bill Clinton's life while he was president um, in a big way. So pretty crazy. Seem like good people. There. Hey, yeah. hey, they're na they're naming their stuff uh, peace and innovation, uh, inclusive capital, inclusive capitalism. It's all good. All the words are good. All it's the all marketing. And if you think about it, it's all aimed at the progressive left. These are the people, I guess, that they think that they can sell this to easiest by being like sustainability, equality, using all these buzzwords. But if you actually think about this stuff, uh, I mean, all the all their marketing is is based on bull crap. So Corey Morningstar is a really amazing uh, investigative writer and I recommend people check out her stuff and she's written a lot about the environmental angling how this is you know moving to smart cities and all of the uh, and all of this is going to be more environmental what, what we're really moving towards are the creation of data colonies and data colonialism and all these data centers and all this infrastructure that AI requires is actually going to require more power than the world is consuming now and you know that's why you're having still these people pushing sustainable development publicly with the World Economic Forum and whatever you know trying to drill in the Arctic, looking for oil everywhere, um, and trying to dominate like sustainable energy, clean energy, all of this stuff. Um, and because they're, they're, you know, moving to something that they're trying to sell to us is more sustainable. Oh, we have to come together because of this great crisis, climate change, which we're now, by the way, being moved out of COVID into the climate change alarmism is going to happen this year per them. Yeah. Right. And we're already sort of seeing that that narrative come together, but it's going to be used to justify restrictions on your living. So now it's, uh, oh, you can't go outside because the government says so. And then it's going to be, oh, you can't own a car because the government says so. Now we're moving right. to self-driving uh, fleets of cars, Ubers that you can, you know, lease from your billionaire overlords and things well, like that. Mm hmm. Lucky for us, Bitcoin mining competes with these AI uh, computing, competes for the energy that would run these, and hopefully Bitcoin uh, bids them out of that energy uh, because I think it is much better and it's not going to build like an AI crazy well, I think state. they are a little wary of Bitcoin because I think that's why we've seen in recent uh, weeks and days this, you know, domestic terror thing. They're trying to claim that the QAnon bad guys and the domestic terrorists are using being paid in Bitcoin. Like there were claims right not that long after January 6th that oh, yeah. uh, some I've... of the people were funneled money through Bitcoin and naughty, naughty, naughty and Bitcoin's money of bad people and and don't use it and it must be regulated and all of this stuff um they, i mean they no. just want control of it i front ran that story i said that like as soon as that 
and they started saying domestic terrorists. I'm like, just wait. These guys, because again, they naturally get forced into Bitcoin because they get deplatformed by Stripe, Visa card, MasterCard, right. excuse me, uh, PayPal, all this. And they, they are forced to use Bitcoin, which I think actually is a good way to wrap this up. I know you have to go in five minutes here. Um, like, let's end this on a good note and like a, a productive note in the sense of like how independent content creators can move to to platforms and payment uh, protocols like Bitcoin that can make them more robust and less susceptible to this mass deplatforming that's going on right now. We can yeah, I mean, it's really essential that people start moving off. Uh, and independent media people need to start building on these other platforms now before they shut down the legacy ones to get your audience used to using these other platforms, I think is really important. But I mean, a lot of um, the future, I think, of independent media and a lot of the alternative platforms, especially uh, alternative content sharing platforms, have, have moved this way as monetizing via crypto. Uh, Rockfin does that, and I think where, where my uh, unlimited hangout channel is at, my podcast is at, and stuff. Um, but there's also some other ones I think that use just use um, BTC Pay Server and accept Bitcoin via on-chain <laughs> and Lightning. Yeah, and you but there's a lot of people that haven't adopted yet, right? So you know, uh, it's not exactly the best economic climate. Uh, independent media these days is a kind of thankless work a lot of times, especially when it comes to the financial end of things. Um, so you gotta, you kind of have to keep all avenues uh, open while they're still there, right? Um, in that sense, that's true. But, that's true. Yeah, it's definitely where things are going. But um, what Solar Winds is the setup for is going to be an event that's going to be a controlled demolition of the existing financial system, and we will likely see moves before that happens. I don't know when it's going to happen. I'm not going to try and claim I know, right? But they're setting up for it. Um, they're going to make some move either immediately after that event on Bitcoin or uh, not long before uh, as a way to try and uh, tamper its growth or infiltrate it or take some sort of uh, control over it in some capacity, maybe even outlaw it. Uh, people are going to need to pay really close attention to the moves that are getting made there in the financial world. And I think it's uh, a lot of that is not going to be covered by mainstream media. I think a lot of it, they're going to try and just slip in all of this uh, set up for this new financial system and their efforts to sort of phase out the old and bring in the new, um, whatever that, you know, how that event's going to play out and how long it plays out. But it looks like that the cyber stuff is going to have a really central role in that. And they're going to try and create, you know, they already are, right, creating their own cryptos, and they're going to try and get people off the decentralized ones onto the controlled ones, and how they're going to do that, I think we should start thinking about what they'll probably do, and how we can preempt that to avoid that, and create these other systems like you were talking about. So really, what we're entering is, a, is an extreme uh, need for an era of people taking personal responsibility and personal accountability for their own lives and creating and actively participating in new systems that aren't dependent on this old stuff. Um, and we have to do it now. Uh, there's no time <laughs> to wait for it anymore. I mean, it's really obvious where this is going. And if you want to be caught uh, like a deer in the headlights when it hits, uh, you know, I feel sorry for you. But, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done now. And it's time not just for us to start doing shit and get off our asses collectively, but, you know, to, to be ballsy. The government can only get away with this stuff as long as we consent and believe, continue to maintain belief that they have a mandate to rule over us, even though they've lost all moral uh, legitimacy to be our leadership. Right. So that that, you know, we have to stop consenting. Uh, to their rule over us, however you decide to do that, you know, is really up to you or start doing that. 
but you know, it, we really need to start saying no uh, to things. And a lot of that has to come from the local level at this point. Protesting in DC or even your state capital isn't gonna work. They're trying to militarize those capitals, but we have to go you know, to the local level um, try and get, you know, law enforcement on the side of the people where you live. Um, you know, and, and there are some sheriff departments in places like California or whatever that have been like, we're not going to enforce this crap. And I, and right. I think there's going to, we're going to be seeing more of that. I mean, we're also seeing like nurses and entire counties saying we're not going to give the COVID vaccine to people because of all the adverse side effects and it's experimental. And now all the stuff is coming out from Europe where they're going to sue Pfizer because of the, the vaccine, their vaccine rollout is a giant human experiment and they refuse to classify it as such. Um, and all of this stuff. So, I mean, I think we are entering an era of pushback and the complacency of the elite is going to melt away. But as they get more scared, they'll do more crazy shit. And so I think that's something people need to be aware of. Um, the more they feel like they lose control, the more they're going to lash out. Completely agreed. Mm -hmm. Make sure you're running your Bitcoin full nodes freaks no matter where you are in the world. Uh, we need as many copies of the ledger as possible permeating throughout the world on, on individual software or excuse me, hardware. Uh, if you're, if you're a content creator out there, use something like ghost and self host your site so that you can have domain over it and not something like WordPress or AWS. Uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Amazon cloud services don't have your site running on that shit. They're the contractors for the CIA. <laughs> they run the CIA's cloud. You want to share a cloud with the CIA and you're going to fight the CIA? You know, I mean, yeah. uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. What the, we have to do, we know that these elite are creating these systems. It's time for us to make our own systems. So yes. they have the great reset. A lot of people are calling what the people need to do a greater reset, whatever word you use for it. I mean, that's the only way out of this bind anymore. And we can do it, but people just have to stop being complacent ourselves, start taking responsibility for your needs in your life and creating something with a community where you can survive what's coming and not be forced to opt into this new system that's basically the end of not just human freedom, but the end of humanity, if you want to listen to what the World Economic Forum people are saying about their plans a couple decades down the line. Yes. Bitcoin lets you opt out. Open source lets you opt out. Join us. It's much better. It's much friendlier over here. Join Whitney, us. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Whitney, I know, I know you have to go, but uh, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for coming back on. Thank you for doing what you do, uh, for standing up uh, to power uh, in a day and age where very few people do that. I uh, really appreciate it and pumped to see that uh, your, your Bitcoin BTC pay server set up and, and you'll be ready to, to receive payments. I hope the freaks show up for you. <laughs> Yeah, dude. Well, thanks a lot. I really appreciate, uh, you know, being back on and uh, anytime. Yeah, I'm sure we'll do this again soon. Enjoy the rest of your day. All right, Peace and love, too. freaks. Thanks.